to the African-American community. I am sorry that your God-given eyes had to watch the evil of police brutality and the death of George Floyd. I grieve that your God-fashioned heart has been wounded once again by racially driven hatred. I pray that justice will be carried out through the rule of law to all officers who are complicit in this crime. I am grateful that even if the courts fail us, our faithful God will not leave the guilty unpunished. I pray that the many police officers who love the communities they serve will be protected from harm and stand for truth stronger than ever among their colleagues. I I pray that professional anarchists who invade communities like wicked vultures will fail to bring further destruction through rioting. I hurt for racial battles that you have personally faced and I pray that your children will be free from such disparity and tension. I'm thankful that Jesus died an unjust death so that forgiven sinners can live in the safety of God's eternal city. I rejoice that the resurrected Christ invites all to come to him, making it possible for us to be brothers and sisters forever. God, I lift these words to you by the power of the Spirit through the name of Jesus in my helpless estate, desiring to love those that I don't know and those that I do, desiring that you would heal when I can't, help me feel what I don't. But I pray, Lord, that in our gathering today, our praying, our singing, our preaching, it would be a release of your power for the healing of the United States. Only a miracle. Only supernatural grace. Only, God, if you send the Spirit of the Lord, angels, courageous, compassionate men and women, filled with the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the mercy of the Lord, only then will we have hope. Father, don't give us over. Lord, you have a remnant here in the United States a remnant of people who tremble at your name, who love your son, and who love the nations that you have brought among us. Give us a chance through our prayers and through our ministry to love them even more. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As you might guess today, I am stuck have a dilemma. I'm scheduled to preach the final two verses of Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 of the limitless power of God available to believers. These are those verses. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. As with all of the doxologies that we find in the New Testament, I think we can agree these are magnificent words. Yet, because of the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis by police officer Derek Chauvin, and because of the heartbreaking riots that followed, led by professional anarchists, because of all of this, some people would say, you can't preach on this today. 
This should be a day where we focus on racial tension and rioting. That should be the focus of what I have to say. And I don't agree with that. Anybody can spread despair. Nobody is better at doing that than the 24-hour news cycle that the majority of America is watching today rather than tuning into the hope-giving power of the Word of God. Anybody can spread despair. But it is the job of the church, the calling of pastors, to spread the hope of Christ of what God has done, what God can do, and what God will do. Last night I was on the phone with a dear friend of our family. Um, we met her in, when she was in fifth grade at our first church back in 1986. We've walked with her through many trials, including the death of her three-month-old daughter, Emma, died of a terrible disease she was born with, only lived 12 weeks. This past year, her husband announced that he was leaving her for a lifestyle of sexual promiscuity. They were divorced two weeks ago. She's a single mother raising her children. She works in radiation oncology, so the people that she sees on a weekly basis are those who suffer and those who are dying. This is what she posted on Facebook on Friday. To sum up this sucky world, stay home or you might die from corona. Nobody has any money. You can't trust a soul anymore. People are killing people and don't care, so let's go burn something and destroy someone else's stuff. That about covers it, I think, so I'm ready for heaven. That's all. Well, I called her last night, not to rebuke her, but just to remind her. I really was sort of attracted to her transparency. I've seen a lot of people writing things like that on Facebook lately. I want to go to heaven. I understand that sentiment. But since we don't get to go home yet, I reminded her that there is a solution for this sucky world. The purpose of life is to live in this sucky world while rejoicing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for this sucky world. And his victory over this sucky world, as evidenced by his resurrection from the grave, which had no power to hold him and has no power to those who are holding on to him. I called her because I am certain of my primary mission in life as a Christian. And that is, I am called by Jesus to comfort oppressed souls like her. It's what we're all called to do in this day and age. Because we have an answer, and therefore we don't preach despair. We grieve over this sucky world, but we lead as many people as possible into the kingdom of God and to the land of the living everlasting. What is our hope in the midst of this sucky world? If I may borrow and rearrange a quote from J.R. Tolkien, our ultimate joy lies beyond the walls 
of this world. The good news of the gospel is there's a city where evil is not found, where joy never ends, and where love is infinitely experienced. And the gates of that heavenly city have been (laughs) opened to us by the key of the blood of Jesus Christ, who died for sin so that all may who believe may enter and may be filled with His Spirit so they may have the power, the transforming power, to obey Him in this sucky world. In the first three centuries of the church, the gospel advanced in an empire that was dominated by injustice. The poor were oppressed and the rich bought privilege with their money. And it was into this corrupt world that Jesus Christ was born and preached. And though he had access to the same power that created the universe, he did not use his power to force the system to change. Instead, he used his power to compel individuals to repent of their sin, to repent of their lust, to repent of their greed, and to repent of their hate. And his death and resurrection made it possible For them to have life, to walk with Him, and to serve Him. And then, He filled His disciples with His Holy Spirit and sent them out to thousands of villages and cities in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was changed in 300 years through the anointed preaching of uneducated, unsophisticated men and women. And the same power that filled those unimpressive people is what Paul is talking about today in Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more than you could ever imagine or even ask through your prayers. I've never met a Christian who doesn't want that kind of power. I've met a lot of Christians who don't live that kind of power. But I've never met a Christian who says, my desire in life is to be weak and defeated by sin. So what is the secret of this power? Immeasurable power. Well, it's, it comes before that verse. We, we didn't get to address it last week, but you remember we celebrated last week. Paul said, I just wish everybody in the church would stop underestimating how much Jesus loves them. And then he put a a that clause, a so that clause, why it's so important to buy into the love of Christ. This is what we didn't do last week. It connects to verse 20. He said, I want you to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, so that, this is why I want you to be convinced of his love, so that you will have a desire to be filled To the measure of the fullness of God. What in the world does that phrase mean? It is probably the most ambitious request ever made to God since Moses, in his day, asked God if he could see all of his glory. 
Paul is praying for the Ephesians church for them to be completely filled with God as God is filled with God. That's what the verse means. I want you to be filled with God to the same extent that God is filled with God. Well, how is that possible? Well, think about this. Go to the Atlantic Ocean. And as far as you can see in front of you and to the left and to the right, there is nothing but ocean. The Atlantic Ocean is nothing but the Atlantic Ocean. It's filled with ocean. The ocean is filled with nothing but ocean. Likewise, God is filled with nothing but God. There's nothing but God in Him. So let's say you're standing by the Atlantic Ocean and you have a jar and you scoop that jar into the water and you come up and all of a sudden that jar has nothing but Atlantic Ocean in it. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church and for you, Hope Point, and friends worldwide who are watching us by the grace of the web. That there would be nothing in your jar, nothing in your body and mind, but God. And the cool thing about your container, your jar, is it has an increasing ability to have more and more of God as you become more and more devoted. Your capacity for God increases. I think this is how, why Paul ended Ephesians with the way he, he did. He said, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So I believe that he's saying at the end of this prayer, what's going to happen in eternity is that our jars will have an increasing capacity to enjoy more and more of God every day so that on Monday, whatever you saw of God, you will have access to more of God on Tuesday, more of God on Wednesday, times 10,000 years, times 10,000 eternities. And it's going to take all of eternity for you to see all of God. And we start now, filling your jar every day with all of God according to the capacity you have for that day. And that's how we have access to the great power that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 3. That's that's what sets you for a trajectory of having access to the power of God. So let's just break this verse down, how he prays for us. Now, to him who is able. This is an implication we are not able. To him who is able implies on our own we don't have that ability. He is able. I was listening to a black correspondent yesterday, news correspondent Lawrence Jones. He was speaking on location to white colleagues back in the studio and he said, he was on location in Minneapolis, I am exhausted. Not talking about his present assignment, but because of the multiple assignments that he has had as a black correspondent over and over again, going on location to film a report about racial disparity and racial tension within the black community by white officers or white people. Yesterday afternoon, I listened to one of the great 
black leaders in our, congrega- in, in our community. Ron Henderson, pastors at Mount Nebo Church, just down the road from here. On Wednesday of last week, he addressed his internet audience for about 16 minutes. The title of his message was, It's a Tough Day, right when the, the video, the seven-minute video came out of the, of the murder in Minneapolis by the police officer of George Floyd. And Ron Henderson put 65 years of racial disparity and racial tension that he has experienced and his people have experienced into those 16 minutes. I want you to listen to it. You need to listen to it. It's so good. And you can feel in his voice exhaustion, which seems to be the word of the day. An exhausted black culture, an exhausted white culture, Surely exhausted Asian culture and exhausted nation. And for the world that's watching, exhausted over the amount of hatred that's televised. We just lost 100,000 Americans to the coronavirus. Shut down the economy. Millions, 33, 35 million unemployed, many of whom lost their businesses, won't go back. And we just were on the precipice of recovery when the Minneapolis murder occurred and seven minutes of evil changed the nation. Jack Brewer is a black athlete, grew up in Minneapolis. He played for the Vikings and the Giants, the Eagles and the Cardinals. In a news interview yesterday, he said two things that I found uniquely helpful obviously agree with both of them profoundly. What's needed is a full prosecution by local law enforcement as well as the DOJ enforcing federal hate crime laws. We pray that'll happen. For everyone who was complicit in that murder, full justice, we hope. But then he went on to say something that is even more important for all of us in the battle to remember. If we take our eye off fighting the evil of racism, we will continue to lose this spiritual war. Tony Dungy, I'm going to build on that because I appreciate Jack Brewer saying this, what's happening News media can't see it. This is a spiritual thing. You, if you have eyes to see through the scripture, you can see behind the throwing of rocks, the breaking of windows, a knee on the neck of a black man begging for help. The hissing Slimy, monstrous evil of demons. It's a spiritual thing that's happening in our country. Tony Dungy, former coach of the Indianapolis Colts, one of the great African-American leaders in our 
world today said, Today we are a divided country and Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom flourish. We have to realize that we're not fighting against other people. We're fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. You don't have to take Tony Dungy's word for it, my word for it, Jack Brewer's word for it. It's black and white and the word of God. Paul gets to it. We'll be there several months from now in Ephesians. Verse, chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's plans. His blueprints. Schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, we've already seen a reference to those several times in the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 3, verse 10, where the Bible says the mystery of God is he's trying to bring all the races together in Jesus Christ and evil powers are at work watching the church do its work, Ephesians 3.10. We've already seen this, and now it just gets more blatant. As a nation, we long for peace and justice. We long for peace and justice. And those two realities are vehemently opposed by demonic forces that are at work in our land. They hate peace, and they hate holy justice. When Paul wrote the church of Corinth, he told the believers there, when you go out and preach the gospel of Christ to the world, to some you will smell like an aroma of life, and they'll love you, but to many you will smell like death, which means they will hate you. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians, ask an interesting question. You're going out and many are going to hate you. Who is equal to such a task? Who can do this? So he asks that in 2 Corinthians, and he answers that in Ephesians 3, to him who is able. You'll not make it. In the battle that lies ahead, the spiritual warfare that lies ahead, you will not endure this present crisis. Own our own strength. We will only make things worse. When a police officer chooses to try a man publicly, he commits murder. When a community chooses to try that police officer publicly, they burn their own community down. I was watching an interview yesterday with a young black couple, K.B. Bala and his wife. He's a retired police officer in Minneapolis. All of his life savings they put into a sports bar and grill, signed a lease in November. In 24 hours in Minneapolis, burned all their money up in smoke. Even while they went in to assess the damage, while the smoke was still rising, looters were still in his restaurant, stealing in front of him. Because that's what we do when we try to solve problems in our own strength. We hurt 
each other and we fail God. Without God, we will fight hate with hate. We will become bitter as we battle bitterness. We will confront lawlessness by ourselves becoming lawless. We are not able, but God is able through us. Last night I was watching an interview with um, <clears throat> former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. And he was extolling how Martin Luther King chose to not rely on human power, but on the power of God, resisting the urge to hate, to physically fight. Love this quote by Governor Huckabee of MLK. He never threw a Molotov cocktail. He never said, burn it down. There's never been a person in my lifetime like Dr. King who showed restraint when he was being bashed in the head and illegally put in jail. That's the kind of leadership we so desperately need. To him who is able. Not in our own strength, we'll fail God and we'll harm others only in the strength of Him who is able. God can do what no man can do. <clears throat> I've had a blast this week, as you might guess, watching uh, my daughter and her husband experience the birth of their First child, my first grandchild. And what I've loved about more than love more than anything else is watching Anna marvel over the grace of God in her life. She knows, it's really her story to tell, not mine. She knows, it, she'll admit it, she can't take credit. All the credit, all the glory for this formation is God. She did carry that baby 37 weeks. That's, that's work. She did deliver that baby. That certainly is work. But when she looks at that baby's nose and his ears, His fingers and his toes. She knows God did it. Nine months of weaving, forming, shaping. Only God is able to do the miracle. To him, Paul continues. Who is able to do, not just able, but able to do. What you have here in Ephesians chapter 3 is one of the great doxologies of the Bible, of the New Testament, of what God does. That's what God is praised for in Scripture. Nobody praises God in Scripture for his philosophical lectures. And his political speeches. 
what God is praised for in life is what he does. He acts on behalf of his broken world and his hurting people. He is a God who acts. He is a God who moves. He is a doing God to him who is able to do. So what is God able to do? Well, Paul answers that. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Well, I just love Paul here because he is so lost. He's so caught up right now in thinking about what God can do. He just starts throwing a bunch of words together. To him who can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Just piles all those words together to say that's what he can do. It's like he's standing on a mountaintop. And he looks at ridge number one and says, God can do that. But he looks behind that mountaintop. And off in the sunset, there's another mountaintop, a ridge that's bigger. And even though he goes miles and miles farther, it gets bigger and bigger. So the farther he looks, the higher and the greater the ridges, the mountain ridges are of what God can do. And it never, ever stops. This is what he's trying to say. Immeasurably more than anything you could ask or imagine. I look at this verse and I think about the unimaginable things that God has done in Scripture. You would have never imagined, would you? Just look at Abraham. Who would have ever thought that God would have chosen to begin his redemptive work in Genesis chapter 12 by choosing a moon-worshipping Chaldean named Abraham? With all of his doubts and all of his mistakes, and especially those of his extended family. Who would have ever thought that God would have chosen this man to bring Christ into the world? But God delights in doing more than we can ever ask or imagine. I think of Moses. Who would have ever thought that God would have chosen 80-year-old Moses? To lead 2.5 million slaves to freedom. There he was, tending sheep in the backside of nowhere in the desert. Because he had run from the pain for 40 years of a failure when he was 40 years old. I love how Brian Chappell says what God can do through pain. In your moment of greatest fear, God is still able. When you have failed, God is still able. When the challenge ahead is too great, God is still able. Who would have thought that Israel, when they already had a king who seemed to be the perfect specimen of a man, of a leader, Saul, Who would ever have thought that God would have rejected him and would have searched and found an unknown, unimpressive boy named David with no leadership experience at all and chosen him to be the king through whom the Messiah would come? Then consider the very letter that we're studying today. Who would have thought 
in A.D. 33 when this man was killing and imprisoning Christians prior to his conversion. Who would have ever thought? Just think about this. Do you think in Acts chapter 4 when the persecuted church gathered for prayer, do you think anybody in that room prayed this prayer? Oh God, would you make the church's greatest enemy to become the church's greatest voice. God does more than we ask or imagine. And who would have ever thought? I'm certainly sure that Paul didn't when he was in that prison cell writing the very letter that we're studying these days at Hope Point. Who would have ever thought? Paul would not have thought. He's writing words that were going to travel 21 centuries through space and time to Spartanburg, South Carolina today on the stage that I'm preaching. He thought he was writing a letter to the church of Ephesus. God does more than we ask or imagine. Don't ever underestimate the influence of your life. If Paul would have done that, by simply looking at himself chained to a Roman guard waiting to get his head chopped off, he would have felt like a failure. But instead, he writes these words. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's able to do more than I can ask or imagine in this prison cell. Who would have ever thought that a 19-year-old boy in the small English village of Water Beach with no college education and no Bible training Who would ever thought that this man would go on to pastor the largest church in London and become known as the greatest preacher in the history of the English language? We have 20 million words of his in print today, and that's what God did through the life of Charles Spurgeon. Who would have ever thought that a 17-year-old boy lying on a hospital bed in New Delhi after trying to take his life due to his utter hopelessness from his Hindu heritage, would have ever dreamed that when a visitor brought him a copy of the New Testament, who would have ever dreamed that Ravi Zacharias would go on to become the greatest Christian apologist and defender of the faith of the 20th century. But this is what God did in this man's life. And what a privilege it was for many of us to honor his life this week at his funeral in Atlanta by way of the web, What a great tribute to Ravi Zacharias, and you can watch it on the computer or your phone. Over the course of the ministry, he traveled to 70 countries and taught millions of students in thousands of hostile environments the gospel of Jesus Christ, answered the harshest of skeptics with the wisdom of God and the love of Christ. Ravi said that to maintain the type of speaking schedule that God called him to, he would need two things, a strong voice and a strong body, neither of which he had. His voice wasn't strong, and because of a broken back, he had two steel 10-inch poles up and down his spine. Yet, Without a strong voice and without a strong body, he traveled to 200 days every year. 
And what makes his story so interesting is when he was a young boy in India, his mother took him to a palm reader in New Delhi to see about his future. This is what Ravi Zechariah said the palm reader told him. Looking at your future, Ravi Baba, you will not travel far or very much in your life. To him who is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. Who would have ever thought that one of the sons of one of our church planters in India during the midst of this coronavirus heard about all the starving day laborers that were just sitting by the side of the road. They couldn't work, therefore they couldn't eat. And so he left his house one day packed with 40 lunches. And he went out expecting to find 40 people where he'd been told 40 people were. And there were 140 there that day. And somehow God turned 140 meals into 140 meals. And each one of them received food and heard the gospel of Christ. And this is what he later posted on, um, or sent to me as on Facebook, on Messenger. Around 140 people heard the name of Jesus. The feeling of the gospel spreading is pure bliss. Who would have ever imagined that when Jesus was dying on the cross, forsaken by his friends, mocked by the crowds, without strength and without honor, that when his blood hit Jerusalem's ground and his body left Calvary, Gordon's tomb, who would have thought through that broken body forgiveness was possible to anyone in the history of the world? who would say, Jesus, save me. To him who's able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. You know what we really have in this doxology of Ephesians chapter 3? An invitation to pray to a limitless God. God is limitless. And therefore, anyone whose heart has been purified by faith in Jesus Christ and prays to the Heavenly Father, is connected to the limitless ability of the sovereign king of the universe. That's what Ephesians 3 is all about. To him who is able to do far more, than we, immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Think about the size of God. You could take all of the navies of history and put them in the ocean today and there's still plenty of ocean. The sun has been burning brightly as for we know 6,000 years offering heat and light to 6 to 7.3 billion people today and it's got millions of years of energy left in it. Think about the size of God. What a staggering thought that nothing is impossible for a limitless God. Or as D.A. Carson says it, there are no degrees of difficulty for one who can do anything. People often ask, will God give us anything we ask for? No. He will give us anything we ask for that leads someone else to see his glory. 
He will inconvenience you. He's not about your comfort. He will take you through a lot of things. If it will cause through your brokenness and through your new discovery of God's power to help someone else see and savor the glory of Jesus Christ now and forever. God will do anything that will help this world see His glory now and forever. So that's what the passage is about. It is an invitation to pray. Big. That's what God is calling this church to do, to pray big. You're praying to a limitless God. As one of our professors at seminary used to say, you bring a cup, God brings an ocean. You bring a candle, God brings the sun. So let's heed the words of Jesus Christ who says in Luke 18, let us not give up praying because we're praying to a limitless God. Since we've sort of been in India a little bit today, I'd like to close with this story of not giving up. I don't know if you heard the story two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, of Yoti Kumar, 15-year-old girl, from the Indian village city, Darbanga. They were in lockdown, she and her father. Her mother had already gone back to her village in Bihar, the state of Bihar. Her oldest sister had gone back and her husband had gone back. But her father couldn't travel because he was a rickshaw driver. Been injured, his knee in an accident. So she and her father were in a quarantine section in lockdown, living on just a few weeks of money. When he gave out, or close to giving out, couldn't pay their rent, the landlord said, you have to leave. And it made her Mad enough, she took her remaining 2,000 rupees, less than $20, and bought a second-hand bicycle. And for the next eight days, with her injured father on the back, pedaled 745 miles to take her daddy home to Bihar. The Indian Cycling Federation, so impressed with her, they are going to fly her to New Delhi, pay all of her expenses, and give her a shot at this year's time trials as a cyclist. So here's my question to you, church. If this Indian girl, with no knowledge of Christ, refuses to quit peddling, how can we who know the Son of God ever refuse to quit praying?
Let's pray now. Father, help us to pray now, this afternoon, tonight, with our breaths spontaneously planned, alone with people, with your church, through the web. Help us to pray and to ask you to do more than we can ever imagine that it's possible in our broken land. More than we ever would think is possible. Right now we look at everything that looks impossible with racial tension, racial disparity, and we ask God that you would do more than we're even going to ask you to do. And we ask that you would do more than our minds could ever imagine. We pray for justice. We pray for peace for the land. We pray for healing for those who are grieving over the loss of a loved one. Those who are grieving over the loss of their businesses, the loss of their community, the loss of their homes. I pray that you would comfort them in ways that are beyond our wildest expectations. But more than anything, God, where there is hatred, would you plant the love of Christ? Where there is bitterness, would you plant the forgiveness of Jesus? Where there is hopelessness, would you cause people to look upward to the heavenly city? Would you bring many into the kingdom of God to relationship with the Heavenly Father through Christ, through the companionship of the Spirit, that they may enjoy your glory forever and ever and ever. Amen.